Uh, so the first reading for today comes from Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. People will tell you, there he is, or here he is. Do not go running off after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it and whoever loses their life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked. He replied, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Continuing on in Luke, um, immediately in Luke 18, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to myself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Thanks. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, good afternoon. If I've not met you before, my name's Phil. I'm one of the student ministers here. Uh, now, let me begin uh, by asking you a question. What do you, what do you think would happen if we went out onto the street now here uh, and we just asked uh, random walkers by, uh, do you think the world is going to end? And if you do think the world is going to end, when? Do you think the world has a use-by date? One day all of us will die. Is it the same thing with our world? I wonder what would happen if I asked you that question. Do you think the world will come to an end? And when? 
Well, one way or another, it doesn't really matter what you, you answer because we all kind of live like the world is just going to go on and on and on forever, don't we? I mean, you don't go down and buy yourself a new, you know, nice leather cover 2020 diary planner and as you're flicking through the gold leaf pages, say to yourself, gee, I wonder if I'll get to use, the, you know, the, the last couple of months of this, you know, all the world will come to an end. I'm going to no, like, we all kind of expect to kind of be back here this time next year, getting for, ready for Christmas, the same sort of stuff, don't we? And yet, for many people in our society, the, the end of the world is something that preoccupies them. I uh, think uh, at, during the federal election, three people uh, on ropes abseiled off the side of the Sydney Harbour Bridge and hung in the air to protest the end of the world through climate change. But it's not just recently. Uh, think back to the year 2000. Do you guys remember the Y2K bug in the year 2000 where we thought all the computers would just pack up uh, once the new year came and we'd go back into the Stone Age? It'd be like an end of the world. Or perhaps uh, you might remember even further back the fear and paranoia around the uh, nuclear proliferation. Our northern neighbours in the northern hemisphere producing huge arsenals that at any moment they might choose to unleash and end the whole world. No, the, the, the thought of the end of the world preoccupies many of us, and these are just some ways we can think of, but this question preoccupied people in Jesus' day as well. Uh, this is what the Pharisees are asking him, when will the world end? But they're not asking when will climate change, when will Y2K, when will nuclear apocalypse? No, no, they're asking when will God end this world and bring in his new and perfect world that he has been promising. And so that's uh, what we're talking about tonight. That's what Jesus is uh, speaking to us about. And so we'll have that in three points. Our first point, uh, the new world has already begun. We'll see how this new world has already begun and is breaking into our old world. The second thing we'll see is that this old world that we live in will end. And finally, we'll look at how we live between these two worlds as Christians who kind of live in the tension and the overlap of these two worlds. Now, uh, let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open, page 900, um, whether you're a new Christian or an old one, um, some of the things that Jesus is saying today are tricky to understand, but Jesus wants you to understand these things. The Holy Spirit will help you. Uh, so let me pray as we uh, go through the passage. Lord Jesus, help us to hear your words today. Help us to heed your warning. Help our hearts to be comforted by the thought of your new and perfect world. We, your people, are listening. Please speak. Amen. Our first point, the new world has begun, but you might not notice it. I wonder if you've ever met a celebrity and not realised that you've actually met a celebrity. I heard a story about this earlier this week uh, where uh, a young man went to a My Chemical Romance concert. Uh, any My Chemical Romance fans? out there, one at the back. Look, the, this guy, he wasn't a fan either. 
Uh, his friends had kind of dragged him along to the concert. And so before it started, he went into the merchandise tent and he's kind of milling around and he strikes up a conversation with one of the shop attendants there in the merchandise tent. And he admits to the shop attendant, oh, look, I don't really like this band very much. I don't think they're very good. Um, but the shop attendant, well, you know, they had a good chat and gave him a couple of signed posters. So he walks out uh, and he goes down to watch the show and he opens the signed posters and who's standing on the stage as the lead singer but the shop attendant he'd been speaking to in the thing the whole time. How embarrassing. But today in our passage, the Pharisees are doing something similar, aren't they? Uh, take a look at what they asked Jesus in verse 20. In verse 20, they asked him, when will the kingdom of God come? And how embarrassing. They're standing right in front of them is the king of God's kingdom, Jesus, standing right there. You see, God's new world, God's kingdom was breaking into this old world and Jesus, the king of God's kingdom, was leading that charge. But the Pharisees missed it. And Jesus explains that this kingdom of God is no normal kingdom and it's no wonder that they missed it. Jesus says in verse 21, you can't kind of point to the, the walls or borders and say, oh, that's the kingdom of God over there. No, the kingdom of God is invisible. Uh, it's no wonder that the Pharisees missed it. You see, the Pharisees missed what Jesus had been saying that whole time. Again and again, he had been preaching and proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And why? Because he was near. But Jesus wasn't just talking about the kingdom of God. No, he was showing it. He was demonstrating it. As Jesus healed the sick, he was showing what this new and perfect world looked like. There was no sickness. As Jesus brought in the outsider, he was showing what this new and perfect world looked like. As Jesus brought people back from the dead, he was showing that this new and perfect world is one without death. Jesus was um, serving up a taste, an entree for what this kingdom will look like. And as Christians, we are God's kingdom now. We are God's people living under God's rule. Uh, we're just waiting for God's place, that new and perfect kingdom. We've tasted it here, haven't we? Uh, you, you couldn't walk in here and kind of point with a finger and say, there's the kingdom of God, there's the kingdom of God. But as we experience the love that we have for one another, as we tell each other of our good King Jesus and remind him, we are touching on this new world, this new kingdom. We're like a little, uh, an embassy or an outpost of this new world. I think C.S. Lewis uh, put it well when he said this. Let me read you this quote from him. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is I must be made for another world. Friends, we must long for this new and perfect world that has already broken in, that we have tasted, this new and perfect world where we will go to be one day. And so our next point, uh, this old world will end. For us to enter this new world, the old world must end. And you won't miss it. Now, Jesus changes tack in verse 22. He no longer speaks to the Pharisees. He speaks to his disciples and he speaks to us. 
And Jesus gives us the inside scoop. He warns us that he is coming back to end this world. Now, uh, unless you live under a rock, uh, surely you notice that Christmas is coming. You know, all the shops have got their, uh, their uh, carols playing and their decorations up. Um, but amongst all the hubbub of Christmas, it's easy for us to sometimes forget what exactly it is that we're celebrating. What are we celebrating? We're celebrating when Jesus came to earth, the first time Jesus came to earth. And what was surprising about Jesus' first visit? Well, he came so humbly. He came as a baby. He came in mercy, and he was so easy to be missed. Uh, only a couple of shepherds recognised him at his birth. But in our passage today, Jesus tells us when he comes a second time, when he comes a second time, no one will miss him. When he comes a second time, riding on the clouds of heaven in his full splendour and glory, no one will miss it. And when Jesus comes back, he will come back to call an end to this world, to call cut on this world, to bring in the next fully. Take a look at verse 25. You see, Jesus only has one thing on his to-do list before he comes back to end the world, and he talks about that in verse 25. He says, But first he, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You see, the only thing we were waiting for was Jesus to go to the cross, to die, to take the penalty we deserved that we might be able to go to this new kingdom. It's a bit like the cross is like, uh, you know, one of those signs on the train that tells you what the next stop is? The cross is like one of those signs and it says, the next stop for this world is the end of the line. This world is coming to an end and the cross shows us that. Now, Jesus wants us to, like his disciples, know that when this all happens, you won't miss it. Uh, and I'm actually having a cheeky little word play here when I say you won't miss it, because I have two meanings here. The first one, you won't miss it. You won't miss it when Jesus returns because it will be obvious. Look what Jesus says in verse 24. Jesus says, when he returns, it'll be like a huge flash of lightning in the sky, lighting up the whole sky. You know, like lightning. It can, even in the middle of the dark, light up the whole sky for an instant. Jesus says when he returns, it will be clear and obvious. And he warns against listening to people who say, come over here, Jesus is here. Come over here, Jesus is here. Just like there's a cult right now at Sydney University telling students that their leader back in Korea is Jesus who's come back. They say, our leader is Jesus, give us money. No, no, no. Friends, if anyone comes and tells you that Jesus has already come back, point them to this passage. No, when Jesus comes back, you will not miss it. Christian, non-Christian, all of us, a global event, we will all know. But the second thing I mean by you won't miss it is that you won't miss this old world. If you're a Christian sitting here today, you're a citizen of the new world. Do you see the surprising thing Jesus says in verse 22 to his disciples? The time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. You see, it was true for Jesus' disciples, wasn't it? They suffered great persecution. They longed to see Jesus come back. And we feel the longings, the pains of this world, don't we? 
uh, physical pain in our bodies, relational pain in that breakdown, the persecution as the people of this world persecute us for being the people of the next world. When Jesus comes, you won't miss this old world. Though there are many good things in this world, the next world is perfect. Now, um, I don't know what kind of dreams you have, uh, but my dreams are always really, really boring. I always have the same reoccurring dream that I'm packing a bag. It's really quite boring. Um, But the other night, I had a very strange dream. I had a dream I was singing the words of uh, this song, uh, All Glory Be to Christ, and I distinctly remember singing this line. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall forever his people be, all glory be to Christ. And I could tell it was a weird dream because I was filled with such deep uh, joy uh, and celebration and relief, so much so that it's kind of hard to put into words. And I kind of thought to myself, wow, this is a weird dream. You know, you work out your dreaming in a dream. And I'm like, oh, I'm dreaming, but this is weird. Why do I feel so much joy? And I thought to myself, well, Jesus says when he comes back, we're all going to know about it. And I've always wondered, what happens if you're asleep? Like, what happens if you're asleep when Jesus comes back? But Jesus makes it clear. And I thought to myself in the dream, maybe Jesus has come back. Maybe that's what's going on. Maybe I'm just about to wake up And Jesus will be standing before me. It'll all be over. What relief, what joy. We finally made it. And I woke up. And you know what the first thing I heard was? My neighbours arguing next door. You know what, friends? We're not going to miss it. We're not going to miss this world. The next will be so wonderful, so perfect. And we must look forward to this world. But friends, what are we to do in the meantime? What are we to do as we live in the tension between these two worlds, as we are citizens of this new and perfect world, but we live here in this old world? Well, that's our next point, living between two worlds. So we've heard that Jesus is bringing in this new and perfect world, and it started now in us, and that he will bring to an end this world. We're a bit like the Venn diagram, you know, the overlap in the middle. That's us as Christians. But how are we to live in this tension between two worlds? Well, Jesus prepares us for that as well in this passage, and he tells us we are to look forward and not look back. First, let's start with the warning not to look back. First, don't get distracted. Uh, Jesus warns us that the day he comes back will look like any other day. Look at verse uh, 26 to 30. People will be going about their normal business. They'll be sitting on the train. They'll be going to work. They'll be typing on a computer. They'll be wondering what I'm going to have for dinner. No, it will be a normal day like any day this week when Jesus returns. Friends, let us not be surprised on that day. Secondly, don't long for the possessions of this world. Uh, You can't take them with you. Jesus says, Uh, No one standing on the roof of their house seeing Jesus return will think to themselves, gee, I better go down into the house and I better get, oh, my computer or my my jewellery or my golf clubs or whatever it is that you might be tempted to think, oh, I better take that with me. Friends, you won't take any possessions from this world with you. Let's not get caught up 
in this world here. Let's not invest too heavily in this world, remembering the share that we have in the next. A key verse from this passage is verse 33. Take a look at verse 33. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. Friends, let us not desperately try to keep our life and wealth and possessions in this world knowing what awaits us in the next. Because if we're completely invested in this, well, then we won't be ready for the next. Think about Jesus' disciples, so invested in the next world that they were even willing to give up their lives in this world. Friends, we too must be brave like our brothers and sisters in those days, ready even to give up our lives in this world, knowing what we cannot lose in the next. Well, take a look at verse 34. There will be a separation on that day when Jesus returns. For Christians, we are the people of this new and perfect world, and for us, we will finally come home. But for the people of this world, they must face justice. Because the sad truth is that none of us, none of us, not you, not I, no one, deserves this new and perfect world. That's why what Jesus had to do before he brought in that world was go to the cross, to take the punishment that we deserve, to take our sin upon himself, that we might get the reward that he deserves, this new and perfect world. Because of the cross, we cannot look back, but we can also look forward. I mean, as people, we're always looking forward to the next thing, aren't we? I mean, when you were a small child, what did you look forward to? Going to school. When you were in school, what did you look forward to? Well, getting out of school. If you're at uni or some kind of training position, what did you look forward to? Getting out of the training position. Now that, you know, you're at work, what do you look forward to? Well, retirement. But once you're retired, what do you look forward to? Well, well, if, if you're not a Christian, what do you look forward to? Friends, the people of our world, they scrimp and save and invest their whole lives longing, thinking about their retirement. Maybe 15, 20 years of retirement. They scrimp and save and long for and put all their hope into this little short amount of time. But friends, that's not us. We don't put all our longing and hope in this short period of time. No, our longing and our hope is in eternity, in this new world that goes on forever. My dad's retired and and he says it's a good thing, but my dad knows that it is a good thing for a short time, but the new world will be perfect and perfect forever. Friends, let us too Scrimp and save and long and love and invest, not just for these little years, but for this eternity. It's not wrong to long for your retirement, friends, but let us not invest all of ourselves in this short time. Let us invest in this eternity. But what about for the, long, the non-Christians? Well, that's what the disciples ask in verse 37. Where will they go? They asked to Jesus. And Jesus' answer, it's a little cryptic, isn't it? He says in verse 37, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Now, this is a bit confusing, but it's most likely a saying from back in the day, a saying that was kind of like, it will be obvious. 
It's a bit like in a desert, you know where the body is because the vultures will gather, that you'll see them circling above and you know where the body is. Jesus is being a little cryptic here, but he's saying when the time comes, it will be clear what will happen to the non-Christians. And we know what it is, isn't it? They will see God's true and perfect justice, as hard as that is to hear. That is the truth that Jesus warns us. But what about this strange parable in chapter 8? Why does Jesus talk about this widow who seems to be bothering uh, this unjust judge into giving her judgment? And then why would Jesus kind of compare God to this unjust judge? Jesus says that um, we in this world will face injustice. We'll face terrible injustice and cry out to God, longing for him to bring the perfect justice of the new world. And for some of you sitting here today, you know what it's like to cry out to God for justice. Some of you here have been wronged terribly, awfully by people, and because this world is the way it is, you'll never see justice. You'll never have your day in court. You'll, you'll never get to set the record straight. And so you cry out for justice. So do, it, do our friends, uh, our brothers and sisters in other countries who are persecuted for being Christians. They cry out for justice and we cry out with them. Come, Jesus, fix this world. Friends, let me leave you with this one last illustration. Uh, it's about a train with two people on it, and they're about to get off at their next stop. Uh, the first person, uh, he's, a, he's a man, uh, and he's kind of distracted. In fact, he's so distracted, he might miss his stop. Uh, he's reading the newspaper, he's scrolling his phone, he's falling asleep, his stop gets closer and closer and closer, but he's distracted. Is he ready for his stop? Friends, don't be like that man. Don't be distracted by this world and all its trappings and distractions. Be ready. The second person on the train couldn't be any different. This person is a young boy, a young boy who's been given a new football, a football he's never kicked before, uh, and he's on the train, and the next stop, he's going to get off and go to the park and kick it for the first time. How do you think he's waiting on the train? Well, he's waiting like this, isn't he? He's fidgeting from side to side. He's playing with a football. He's looking out the window. He's asking his parents, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Friends, we need to be like that boy. This world is like a stuffy train, and the new world will be beautiful, full of light, new, perfect. We need to be like that boy, eagerly expecting, waiting for the new world, our home. Friends, here's a a wonderful thought for you to hang on to this week. It could be this week. Jesus could come back any day this week. What a wonderful thought. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, in the hard and difficult times of this week, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. In the wonderful and joyous moments, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. When we are persecuted and misunderstood by the people of this world, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. Lord, we ask all this. Come soon, we pray. Amen.